0: So the Lord be with you. Thank you and good morning. I am absolutely thrilled to be here and uh, this group of people who puts this service together three times a week is really quite wonderful. So thank you all very, very much. I do bring you greetings on behalf of Bis- the Bishop of the Kentucky Annual Conference, Lindsay Davis, and on behalf of those 62 faith communities in the Frankfurt District, um, some of whose pastors I actually see out there. So wave. I see, yeah, yay, go Frankfurt, yeah. (laughs) As I um, begin to talk about the words that Paul shared, uh, would you pray with me one more time? Lord, please, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I grew up thoroughly Methodist. And I grew up rolling around on the traditional maroonish red indoor outdoor carpet underneath the pews at Shadyside, Maryland in a church called Centenary United Methodist Church and um, Jesus as the good shepherd was right there all the time constantly looking down from his stained glass window in the chancel area and my Aunt Mary was constantly giving me and my cousins and my siblings that Please, please stop it, look, from the choir loft, which was right about there as well. (laughs) It was a small congregation of which all of my family were members, and there was a lot of love, and through that particular congregation, I learned the most of my understanding about who God is and who I am as God's daughter, and I'm forever grateful for that. I also grew up with parents who, though seriously while not perfect, wanted to give me a solid foundation on which I could grow into being a strong woman of God. And one of the things that the church and my parents told me over and over again was that I could do anything I set my mind to accomplish. You can be anything you want to be, they said when you grow up. Dream big, work hard, and you can do anything both because of my church family and because of my biological family, I grew up thinking that God had given me this world of choices, and I just needed to pick one and follow that path. Now, I love my parents, and I still love Centenary United Methodist Church, but as I grew up, I realized they weren't exactly right about all that. God has given us a lot of choices, but none of us can really be anything we want to be. Could I choose to be African or Asian or with my size be a pro basketball star or a Churchill Downs jockey? Could I choose to be two places in one time or turn myself into a penguin? Could I really, really choose completely my destiny? No. In fact, when I was a child, I was absolutely in love with the horse, uh, the thoroughbred secretariat, All the other girls I knew my age had these posters of U2 and those horrible boy bands on their walls, but I had Secretariat, and I was horrified when my growth spurt started at about age 13, and I would watch myself getting taller and taller. With every quarter inch, I realized that I was never going to become the first female winning jockey at Churchill Downs. Now, I'm I'm really not all that tall. In fact, I'm just a quarter inch over average, but average is too tall to be a jockey. The truth is that much of what we've been given in our lives, we do not choose for ourselves, despite what our baby boomer parents may have tried to instill in us for the sake of self-confidence. We're born into ethnic and cultural and social and economic and often religious constraints. None of that we choose. It just happens. And yet, most of us go through a significant part of our lives believing that we drive our destiny. We may say God is in control, but the truth is that we have this American dream scenario speaking in our ears saying that what we do and what we achieve will define who we are. And the truth is the American church and the American family often support that theory. So we go to the best college that we can afford and we major in what we believe will take us down that correct path and we come to Asbury Seminary in order to get the appropriate credentials to add to our growing list of accomplishments. And in the process of being all we can be, we leave the Holy Spirit out of the equation. Or we only call on the Holy Spirit when our own efforts seem to be failing us. We who have experience studying and learning in a seminary know that this can be a trap. And you know as well as I do that Saul is the quintessential biblical example of that trap. That's why we read about him this morning. By birth, Saul was given a particular set of credentials right from the start. He was a Roman citizen, which could be considered a really big deal at that time. He was the son of a Pharisee. We know he had at least one sibling. He was from the tribe of Benjamin and born in Tarsus sometime probably within five years of Jesus' birth. He was a Hebrew, of course, and he was a city boy when most adults of that time were rural. He was a person of at least some wealth and at an early age he was taught both how to study scripture and how to make mohair, that material that tents are made out of. Those were things that Saul had no choice over. Those were things he was born into. So he starts out on this track in life in which he fully accepts the privilege and the access that he's been given, the access of his pedigree. And he proceeds to gain credentials that further upbuild the things into which he was born. Most of us do the same thing. In Saul's case, we know that he fights to maintain the superiority of the faith into which he was born. He takes an active part in the execution of Stephen. He becomes seriously feared by the Christians He gains a significant amount of power, and he becomes a man well-known as a temple insider, someone who kept the tradition and was respected by the institution for exactly that. That is, until the light flashes and he's forced to make some choices. Sometimes that's what conversion is anyway, right? A momentary blaze in our lives when we're summoned to choose between credentials and Christ. And this is a choice that we all have to make at some point in our lives, particularly those of us gathered here this morning. Which is really going to be most important? And that very same light exploded into Saul's life and necessitated that he make this choice. And it was way more radical a choice than most of us are ever forced to make. Most of us are ever asked to make. The best way I can describe this this change from Saul to Paul is in reading before and after scripture passages. They're, in fact, kind of chilling if you really listen to them. Before we read from Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says, And Saul was there giving approval to his, Stephen's, death. And after, We read a portion from his letter to the church at Philippi, which says, I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. What happened? What caused Paul to throw out that lengthy resume and start all over again with nothing? Seriously, he had been a rock star in his circles, quoted as saying, if anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, a, tribe of Be- a part of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, a zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. That's what Paul said. Saul was solidly self-assured in his place in the religious institution, and he clearly had the credentials to back that up. Then comes the light. All that he had built himself up to be, probably all that his mama and the temple had encouraged him to become, he chose to turn away from. What had been foundational became foolishness. And instead, he chose to humble himself before that which was much greater than he could ever possibly be himself. In his own words, he writes. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the, the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, and now I consider them rubbish. Paul came to consider his resume, the credentials that he had worked to build up, the impressive resume to his colleagues. He considered it so much rubbish. I remember the first time I heard the surprise from one of you when you learned what that word really means. (laughs) The word Paul used in Greek is really much more charged than the traditional translation of garbage or rubbish. My little four-year-old nephew would call it kaka or poopy or (laughs) doo-doo. But something a bit stronger would actually be accurate. All he had been born into, all he had, all he had done to expand upon those circumstances had become, in my apologies to sensitive ears, total crap to Paul. He instead allowed humility before a great Savior to choose him. He received the grace revealed to him in Jesus Christ. And this choice called for him to humble himself before those who ha- he had been persecuting, admit being wrong in a really big way, and start off on a completely different path with those who had previously been his enemies. We've heard the story so many times, we forget how much it defies explanation The story of Saul becoming Paul is as astounding as me turning into a Churchill Downs jockey or choosing to be in two places at the same time. It's unbelievable. But what I believe Paul discovered about gaining a religious resume is that it's just the wrong path. To all of us, myself included, I believe the message is when we try to do enough to please God and make ourselves acceptable, we place our credentials over Christ. That's something that those of us gathered in this space are always in significant danger of doing. And if we ever forget it, those who were called to serve will remind us of it quickly, (laughs) Our seminary degrees and our credentials we build up for this ourselves on this earth are caca and poopy and doo-doo if they keep us from choosing to live Christ-like lives of humility. It's the bottom line. Paul came to a point on his spiritual journey where he gave up his faith and his ability to produce a life good enough to validate himself. Instead, he went with what was true and right for his life. He humbled himself with his very life, and he placed it before Christ for Christ to use in his kingdom. He had the credentials, but he chose a Christ-like life over them. Quite simply put, maybe we above all others need to be reminded of that frequently. I know that many of us have given up a lot to be here today, high-paying jobs, some of you have given up, family approval, in some very painful cases, family itself. I, I know that. Now here in this place, you're learning that the call is even to give up trying to design our own lives. We're being called to open our hands and bow our heads before God and to receive what is to come, whatever that is. Maybe better stated, we're being called to understand our lives and our ministry will be best established and most holy by choosing Christ-like humility over social power or power for itself. It's not easy stuff. It takes daily remembering. My grandfather, who was Baptist priestor- preacher, used to joke that he had won a medal for his humility but it was taken away when he began to wear it. (laughs) Well, I'll be honest with you. I think many of us in the church today are wearing our medals. I'm growing appalled at the number of us who will only serve part-time churches if they're within an hour's drive away or they pay at least $35,000 or they have at least a three-bedroom parsonage. We scarcely want to be inconvenienced much less actively live up to our personal goals and credentials. I'm growing appalled at the number of us who are convinced that we understand what the scripture means for this whole generation and we're willing to fight other Christians in order to prove our points. We see being right as more important than being humbled before Christ and that makes my heart hurt for the church of Jesus Christ. So, I would invite us to Holy Communion today with a joyful obedience that is centered in Christ-like humility. May we lay our personal spiritual resumes aside and reach out in humble faith for Jesus the Christ and relationship with him. None of us, definitely including myself, know to what God is going to call us tomorrow— We don't know when God's light is going to stop us in our tracks, so there's no way we can have it all figured out, either for ourselves or for Christ's church. I believe that the best thing that we can do is let go of trying to create our own destiny and do our best to stay open to receive the grace that God clearly has for each one of us. Paul's conclusion was that the only righteousness that he had came as a gift from God based on his faith. My prayer for each of us is that we too will choose Christ over our credentials and that our lives will be used as powerfully as Paul's was. That would be the most amazing thing that we could do with our lives on this earth. So, this Wednesday morning, may we come to the table of the Lord for the beautiful nourishment that will give us the strength that we need for that kind of journey. And it is in the name of Jesus, I invite you to pray. We do remember our own upbringings, whether they were in the church or not. And we know that you have been with us right from the beginning, God. And we do remember the story of Saul turning into Paul and how amazing it is. God, may that story guide our path today. And may all that we want be to serve you, however that turns out, so that God, when that light hits us, we'll be ready and we'll go where you send us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.